So as uh, mentioned in weeks previous, we are in a series called Reboot, where we're gaining fresh perspectives, things that if we uh, know and apply these things, it can have a transformational effect on our life. And I told you that a couple of weeks ago, I was at a pastor's retreat. And on the way back, sitting in the hotel room after my car broke down, I thought of these thoughts. I was like, this is my next message. Started studying, realized it was my next three messages. And so this is the third one. So just to remind you, the three things that I wrote down, I have my little journal right here where I wrote them that night. The first thing that I put was different roles, same call. Different roles, same call. The idea that even though I'm a pastor, you're probably not, that we have different roles within the church, but it's actually the same call, and that is to be all in. We looked at Luke 14, 27, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. The idea that that they would have been familiar with. The cross was the symbol of death. I'm ending my life. A new life is beginning. So the first message was all in, and the idea was that to follow Jesus is to be all in. And then last week, I told you that the second phrase that I wrote was, by this time, you should be teachers. And that came from Hebrews chapter 5, where it says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. And although this wasn't on screen last week, I did mention this, that there's kind of a progression that we go through as followers of Jesus. We start out as consumers. We talked about how infants are hungry for the word. They feed, feed, feed me. And so you are taking in. Now, none of us are infants, but we still take in, but we don't stop there. And you can't stop at just being a consumer. So we move into contributor. That's somebody that helps out. We're making some kind of contribution. But maturity is reflected when we take ownership, when we're multiplying ourselves and we are commissioned. So, you know, pastors like alliteration, so it's consumer, contributor, and commissioned. And uh, the big idea for that message was, by this time, I ought to be teaching others. Just ask yourself, is this have I been around long enough that there should be a, a, I should be able to look behind me and see other people who are following Jesus because I'm following Jesus? And then the last phrase that I wrote was this one, well done, good and faithful servant. And I put that it's a matter of stewardship because I was thinking about that's really all of life is a matter of stewardship. Now, how how do these things tie together? That all of us as followers of Jesus need to be all in. And when we are all in, we are constantly going to be growing and making progress, and that we should be, therefore, making disciples. We should be teaching others at some point. But in order for that to happen, we have to recognize that everything that God places in our hands is a matter of stewardship. Now, this course comes from the very famous parable that is found in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Jesus is telling a parable, and he says that the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, the way, the way that this is transformational is we have all and do all 
experience lack. There's something in your life that you would like to have that you don't have. It could be a relationship. It could be a resource. It could be just a preference about something, but there is always something that is not as it should be, not as good as it could be, not all that we would hope that it could be. There's always some place where there is a need or a lack. And if we can understand, apply, and multiply this mindset that we're going to be talking about today in others, then I think that this can go a long way in dealing with that sense of lack. Two stories, one from my experience, one from the scriptures. So several years ago, there was a group of us that went to a little conference at a church in Vermont, and uh, one of the breakout sessions I went to, and the pastor was talking about their approach to finances, and he said that he had been told something by one of his mentors that really made a difference in his perspective and how he led the church, and that was that the resources are in the house. The resources are in the house. Now, what was he saying there? He was saying that whether you realize it or not, that God has placed the resources that you need at your disposal. They're in the house, and it's just a matter of finding them, releasing them, leveraging them. Uh, And Honestly, you know, that is not always my perspective, and it's probably not your perspective either, because we look at what's missing, and it's hard for us to believe and receive and accept that, that perhaps God has already provided what we need. We just don't see it yet. Second story from the scriptures, Moses calling in the book of Exodus, I believe, He um, is standing before the burning bush and his perspective, his focus is all about him and his abilities or lack thereof, right? If you know the story, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm not a good speaker. There are all kinds of reasons. God, please just send somebody else. It's not me. I can't do it. And the, the Lord actually gets, uh, it says that he gets kind of frustrated with him. And he says, who, who made man's tongue? You say you can't speak? Who gave you a tongue? And he said, he's, and so Moses is giving up all of these uh, objections. And he's like, if I go to the people and I say that the God of their fathers has, has sent me, they're going to say, well, who's he? What's, what's his name? How, they're not going to believe me. And God says this, and this is the, a transformational phrase. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Now, what was in hand, because Moses was a shepherd, was the shepherd's staff. And so he, the Lord, told him to throw down his staff. The staff becomes a snake. He picks it up. It becomes a staff again. And um, they say that from that point on, It wasn't just a staff or the staff. Whenever it was referred to in the scriptures, it's called the rod of the Lord, the staff of the Lord. And that's the staff that he uses in the court of Pharaoh to to perform that miracle. It's the staff that he reaches out and, and parts the Red Sea with. It's the staff that he strikes the rock 
and the water comes out of from that point on, just that simple shepherd's staff that Moses had in his hand became the rod of God. So the question is, what is in your hand? So uh, for those of you that are watching or listening and uh, are listening just to the message, I want to welcome you. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and this is Cornerstone Community Church. Encourage you to check in, download our app or check in so that we can uh, stay in touch with you, to encourage you, and to be in touch with you. Uh, today's message is called Do Something, and we're answering the question of why do needs go unmet? What are the things that are missing in our lives, and what does God want to do in order to provide them? Ultimately, we are talking about the idea of stewardship. Stewardship is a, is a word that we use in church a lot, but probably not outside of church very often, but it's the idea of a manager, that somebody is responsible for something that doesn't belong to that person. And the bottom line for today is that God gives us something to do something with it. Very often, our assumption is that everything that comes into our possession is for our consumption, to use it for ourselves, to make ourselves happy, to please ourselves, but actually that may not be the case, that God often gives us something in order to do something for the benefit of others with it. So main points, again, don't bother trying to write these down. We'll come back to them. Everything that I put after my is really God's. We don't all get the same, but we all do the same. I'll explain that. That'll make sense when we talk about it. And lastly, I am accountable for what I do with what I get. There's accountability in this as well. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself, what has God placed in my hands and how can it be leveraged for his purposes? Laura, would you join me up, up here? We're going to read scripture together. Laura is going to read the parable that, uh, that the well done, good and faithful servant phrase comes from. And I'm going to read a little bit of the context to uh, set it in context, because context is king in understanding the scriptures. Is that level good for you? Okay. So she's going to be reading Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30 in the New Living Translation. Good morning. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. 
The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvest crops and I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have had gotten some interest in it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into utter darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Now, that's a very familiar passage, but what is sometimes not appreciated is the context for that passage. Do you know what the context for that passage is? It's Jesus talking about the end of time. So I'm going to read to you a little bit from the previous chapter, and I'll be reading from the message translation. I think that'll give you a little bit of a fresh perspective on it. Here's the context. Jesus then left the temple... As he walked away, his disciples pointed out how very impressive the temple architecture was. Jesus said, you're not impressed by all this sheer size, are you? The truth of the matter is that there's not a stone in that building that is not going to end up in a pile of rubble. Later, as he was sitting on Mount Olives, his disciples approached him and asked him, tell us, when, will these things, when are these things going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming that the time's up? Jesus said, watch out for doomsday deceivers. Many leaders are going to show up with forged identities claiming, I am Christ, the Messiah. They will deceive a lot of people. When reports come in of wars and rumored wars, keep your head and don't panic. This is routine history. This is no sign of the end. Nation will fight against nation and ruler fight ruler. Oh, over and over, famines and earthquakes will occur in various places. That This is nothing compared to what is coming. Now I'm going to skip down to 13 and 14. Staying with it, that's what God requires. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry, and you'll be saved. All during this time, the good news, the message of the kingdom will be preached all over the world, a witness staked out in every country, and then the end will come. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts and minds to hear what you would have us to say, and that we would each know exactly what we should do with what we hear today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
So the first thing I want you to notice, and the reason I started out by reading that context as well as the parable, is I think that it's important. Look at what Jesus says. Uh, the disciples ask him, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Their emphasis is on the when. How long is it going to be? Is it going to be now? Is it going to be soon? When are you going to do this? When is everything that we've been talking about and planning for going to happen? But Jesus constantly shifts the emphasis from when to what? This thing happens the same again in the first chapter of Acts. The disciples ask him, you know, is it now that you're going to restore your kingdom? And he totally shifts their emphasis from when to what they should be doing. And we see this here. Look at these couple of verses and again from chapter 24. You must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Now, I always thought it was interesting growing up because as now there's in some circles a big emphasis on the return of Christ and they would talk about earthquakes and wars and all these things and as signs of the end. And then I would read chapter 24 and it was like, there's going to be earthquakes and wars and all this kind of stuff. But that's not the end. It's not the sign of the end. This is just normal human history. And I could never make that connection why they were talking like that. And I, and I like this passage because I, I think it keeps us grounded. It's like, it's not going to be a secret. You're not going to have to wonder. It's going to be like the lightning flashing across the sky. It's boom. You're going to know. It's not going to be a question. But the, the key here is not to figure out when, it's to be busy doing the right things at the right time. So, um, and again, I've done this before, but it's worth repeating because this always comes up. So it's kind of like when uh, you picture, don't worry about the screen, I'm going to stay in the general area. Uh, it's like, the end of time and the change over into the fullness of time, God's kingdom coming in its fullness, it, you could picture it as this edge. And so for a long time, we were walking right up to the edge. And with Jesus being there, with Jesus coming the first time, we were right on the edge. He lives his life, perfect life, dies for our sins, raised to life, ascends to heaven, and now we are waiting for his return. And when he returns, he steps into eternity and brings us with us. And so for a long time, I think the picture that people had was, we're walking up, we're walking up, how far away is it? When is it gonna happen? And when are we gonna actually reach the edge? Reality is, we've been at the edge for a long time. In fact, the end times, biblically defined, began with Jesus' ascension. We've been in the end times for about 2,000 years. So if anybody asks, are we in the end times? Yes. And we've been there for a long time. Don't worry about it. Now, the key is that from this point on, we've been walking right along the edge. And at some point, the Heavenly Father is going to lead over to Jesus and say, now is the time, and he will return, step into eternity, and bring us with him. The key is nobody knows that's in this passage too, when that's going to happen. Therefore, we should always be ready. And that was the point of Jesus' teaching. 
So what's happening in this meantime? What should we be focused on? If not the when, what is the what that we should be focused on? And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus tells us, he begins, and then he's going to go a little bit deeper in, in chapter 25. He says in verse 45 of chapter 24, a faithful, sensible servant. This is the one that's going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. The, the right kind of servant is the one to whom the master can give the responsibility Underline, circle, say, responsibility, responsibility, yes, good, for managing his other household servants and feeding them. Last, last week's challenge was to be responsible to and for others. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about here. So it's taking care of business. Verse 46, message translation, someone the master can drop in on unannounced, and find him doing his job. Someone that the master can drop in on unannounced and always find him doing his job. You thought Bill Belichick came up with the idea of do your job? Nope, that was part of Jesus the way long before it was part of the Patriot way. We are to be doing our job. So let's look at the parable in chapter 25. Jesus tells three parables actually. First one about the parable of the bridesmaids is to always be ready. The second one is the parable of the talents. That's to keep busy. And the third one is the sheep and the goats do good. So those are the three ideas that Jesus gives us. Those are how we keep busy. That's if we do those things, if we're always ready, taking care of our responsibilities, we're doing something. If we're benefiting others, then we are doing our job. So when God gives us something, when he places something in our hands, he asks us, what's in your hands? He does that because he wants us to do something with it. This parable emphasizes the idea of stewardship. And you can think about that in this way. Everything I put after my is really God's. Everything I put after my is really God's. If God places something in your hands, then it's not really, it doesn't really actually belong to you long-term. It is something that belongs to God that he has entrusted to you to use for his purposes and for the benefit of others, to love God and to love others. So think about what we put after my, my house, my finances, my bank account, my family, my life, my time, anything that you put after my is really God's. Look at what it says in 24, I'm sorry, this is actually 2515. I've corrected that, but not in time. It's in the, the growth guide correctly. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Who owned the bags of silver? The master, right? The master. And what does he do? He gives them. He entrusts them to his servants. So it all belongs to God. That is, the, that is the bottom line foundation for the whole idea of stewardship is that everything that we have ultimately belongs to God. Whatever is in your hands has been placed there by God. But why does he do that? Well, he does that because he wants us to do something with it. Look at the next part of this verse and you'll see that we don't all get the same but we all do the same. We don't all get the same amount, but we all do the same thing. We're supposed to invest it. We're supposed to leverage it. We don't 
all um, get the same results. There were some that, the, the one that got five, got five back. The one that got two, got two back. It's different results, but we all are doing the same. You can be faithful. The same exact words were said to both of those first two servants, even though the one brought back five and the one brought back two. We don't all get the same, but we all do the same. Look at the next part of that verse we just read. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities. We don't all have the same abilities, but we don't, we're not responsible for the abilities that other people have. He gives it to us. He places it in our, in our hands in proportion to our own abilities. This is good because it reminds us that I'm not responsible for what other people have or what other people can do. That we're not to be comparing. We don't have to judge ourselves by what somebody else can or has done or doesn't do. If we are comparing to somebody who's done better, then we, that can be depressing and discouraging. If we compare to somebody who's doing worse, then we take pride in that. We think it's something that we've done when it's really not. So it is divided in proportion to our abilities. Again, notice that the same phrases, same exact words are said to the first two servants. Well done, my good and faithful servant. They didn't receive the, the same amount, but they did the same thing and they got the same commendation. And it says, you have been faithful. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now, you put that in contrast to the words and the actions of the third servant, because these two are called faithful. The other is called lazy. These did something with it. The other one kept it safe, but he didn't do anything with it. These two are told, literally, enter the joy of your master. Let's celebrate together is the way the New Living Translation puts it. The third one is cast out where there is darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Frustration, regret, sorrow. Those are the contrasts that you see there. Now, I also thought it was interesting that in the context of this parable, the, the, the accountability and the receiving of greater responsibility happens after the master returns. I think that's interesting. Sometimes we won't see on this side of heaven the results of our work. So I thought that was interesting as well. And then lastly, that leads to the idea that, yes, we are going to be accountable when God gives us something to do something with it, I am accountable for what I do with what I get. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Again, there's the ownership idea. It's his resources, but it's been entrusted, and therefore we are accountable. And when I was looking at this, I want to point out just one little thing that the third servant said. I was afraid. I was afraid that I would lose your money. I was afraid that if I didn't do well, you were going to be angry at me. I was afraid, and therefore I did not act. What are you thinking about doing that you're not doing because you're afraid? 
what when you look in your hands, you know that God has given you something, but there is a element of fear that keeps you from doing something with it. For whatever reason, that really struck me as I was reading it. The whole thing can be summed up like this. I was afraid, and therefore, I did nothing. In these parables, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus does something that is rather helpful, and he doesn't always do this, but in these passages he does. He tells us what his bottom line is. He kind of summarizes the message in each of those. He does that in verse 29 in this case, and it's just reinforcing this idea that we've been talking about. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So there's your, there's your contrast. Use well what God has placed in your hand, or he gives you stuff and you do nothing with it. Now, there are two sides to this. One is a very encouraging side, and one is more of a challenge. From the encouraging side, as I look around, you might, you might look around and say, boy, there's not a lot here. You know, we, there, there aren't a lot of people. There aren't a lot of resources. Maybe we need more people serving. We need more people to do this. There are things that we are lacking. And so that can be discouraging. But maybe what God needs to do is give us a little bit of encouragement and say, look, what's in your hands? Look at what you've already done with what little you have. I think about the, the faithfulness that, that, that this congregation has displayed over the last several years. Um, and I, I hesitate to bring up particular people and names because there are so many and I don't want to leave anybody out, but let me just give you some representative samples. Uh, when everything blew up with COVID and we had to shift online, Kent, with his time and his resources and his skills, stepped in to make it possible for us to stay online. Everybody in the church pretty much stepped up and stayed faithful in their giving during that time where we still have not taken up an offering since March of 2020 in person, but God has continued to provide for our needs because you guys have been faithful. We talked about taking ownership, and I look back at the back table, and I see Dustin, who has taken ownership of the tech, and I see Emma, who took responsibility for what's going on here for setup and hospitality. I think of Elizabeth when she and Kent got married, and she moved here to the great white unknown north, and immediately started leveraging her gifts and talents in music for us. And I think of Laura, who stepped into the, uh, the, the role of the teacher for the women's Bible study as Ann Lindsay was handing it off. And uh, you know, Sam, who's not here today, but uh, new to our church, didn't even ask him. He just showed up one morning and said, I've been thinking, and I'm going to start showing up every Sunday that I'm here to set out chairs and help set up. Never asked him, never had to twist any arms. He saw a need. He took the initiative. He filled that need. And I can just go on and on. There's so many people who have been so faithful in leveraging whatever God has placed in their hands and said, maybe this isn't just for me. Maybe my time, my car, 
my resources, my gifts, my abilities, maybe, just maybe, God has placed that in my hand for the benefit of others. So well done. And just imagine what, what God, see what God has done with the little that we have been given, the, the, what has been placed in our hands, and imagine what could be done if everybody had that perspective, everybody was leveraging everything that God has given them for the benefit of his kingdom, for the benefit and blessing of those around them. And imagine what could happen as we look forward and see what's going to happen next. I wanted to end up by, you know, we've been talking about, if you look at your uh, check-in card, you'll see that the next steps are laid out at the bottom, and I encourage you to circle them from time to time. But I, I want you to see how you can look at even these things from the idea of stewardship. Let's start with say yes. Saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord, that's that first step, but we also do it daily. The way that you started your journey with the Lord is the way that you continue it. What this is, is this is the stewardship of the gospel. Some of you have heard the gospel for a long time, but what have you done? If God has placed the good news of Jesus in your hands, have you received it? Have you internalized it? Have you said yes to Jesus? Yes, I know that you died on the cross, but I want what you did on the cross to count for me. Yes, I know that you are Lord, but I want you to be the Lord. I want you to be the boss, the one who calls the shots in my lives. God has placed the good news of the gospel, eternal life, forgiveness, a fresh start right in your hands. What have you done with it? Have you said yes? And every day, we talked about being on Jesus' time. Every day that he gives us is a gift. And to just say yes to him daily, whatever you have in mind for me, however you want to use me, however you want to bless me so that I can be a blessing to others, the answer is yes. That's the stewardship of the gospel. When we encourage people to worship together on a weekly basis, one of the aspects of that is stewardship of your time, to set aside just that little bit of time each week to focus on the Lord and to allow him to speak to you through his word, through his people, through, uh, and for us to be able to return worship, adoration, respect, recognize who he is in our lives. It's a stewardship of our time. When we encourage people to connect in a small group purposefully, to have meaningful relationships, knowing that you can't grow spiritually unless you connect relationally, that's one way you could describe that is a stewardship of your friendship. You have, you have the ability to be in relationship with others, that we need one another. And if God has placed, God has placed gifts and abilities and relational capital in your hands, what are we doing with it? It's when we connect in a small group, when we have a circle that knows what's going on with us and we know what's going on with them, we are stewarding that friendship. When we encourage people to serve on a team faithfully, that's a stewardship of our gifts. When we encourage people to give consistently, that is a stewardship of our resources, recognizing that everything that God gives us belongs to him. We return a portion, a percentage of it to him to acknowledge that and to accomplish his purposes. 
And when we encourage people to include others regular, to look around and say, hey, who could I bring into what I'm doing? When we, do, when we get together to watch this, when we go here, when I show up at church, who can I include? What we're doing is we're stewarding our influence. Each one of us has influence. Are we leveraging it for God's purposes? So today, we talked about the idea of stewardship. God gives us something to do something with it. Everything I put after my is really God's. We don't, get all, we don't all get the same, but we all do the same. And lastly, I'm accountable for what I do with what I get. So this is what I would challenge you to do. Ask yourself, what has God placed in my hands? What has God placed in our hands? And how can it be leveraged for his purposes? Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you. Uh, again, as we think about what you've done over the past several years, as I think about preparing for the annual meeting, as we look at the scripture, your faithfulness and your goodness and your provision to us has been incredible. And so we thank you for that. And I wonder and I anticipate and I could get excited about if, if you've done that with, with this crowd so far, what could you do if we just multiplied that mindset in our own lives and in the lives of others? Lord, I pray that you would show each of us the value of what you have placed in our hands and that you would make clear to each of us what our next steps are, how what you've placed in our hands can be leveraged for your glory and the benefit of others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you take a second to um, get around and discuss that, this is the kind of thing that we're going to be talking about. In particular, I want to draw your attention to that third question because that third question is the challenge put in the context of community. Because sometimes people need encouragement, and you're going to see things in others that they might not necessarily see in themselves. So when you're in your circle, when you're discussing this at home, if you gather up here, look around that circle, and, and how can you encourage others and point out, hey, God has given you this gift. He has given you these abilities. You have this, which could be, I see this in you that could be leveraged for the kingdom of God. So enjoy your discussion group. Thank you for being here, and may God use it for his glory and honor.